Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. Praise God. Praise God. While you're still standing, I ask you to remain standing for just a few seconds more as we read from the Word of the Lord. I'm reading from John chapter 1. Thank you so much for honoring the Word of the Lord by standing today. It is a great thing that we honor His Word. And if you believe that's true, say amen. Praise God. John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1, very familiar portion of Scripture. It says, in the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light, thank God, shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then verse 14 in that same chapter, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You'll notice that word, word, is capitalized with a capital W. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to preach to you today for a little while this last Christmas message. I don't know what Brother Lloyd's going to bring to us Wednesday, but this is the last chance last opportunity I'll have to bring to you the word of the Lord uh, on a Sunday that is and I've chosen a Christmas message with the permission of the Lord to talk to you from this subject God in a body God in a body let's pray one more time this is so important God I know that there are those here today who have walked with you for a long, long time, and they're going to be reminded of the incarnation, the fact, the glorious, miraculous appearance that you made on the earth that you created among the men that you put on this planet. But, Lord, I also know there are those here today who need yet to obey the gospel. I pray that today your word by your spirit would stir both groups to the response that you would have us to give that you might be pleased for truly God you love us more than we can comprehend you came to this earth and proved that without a shadow of a doubt help us everyone to respond to that act of love by giving ourselves wholly and completely back to you for the rest of eternity As you will it, so let it be in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Gabriel. Just the sound of my king's voice stirred my heart. I left my post at the entryway and stepped into the throne room. To my left was the desk on which sat the book of life. 
Ahead of me was the throne of Almighty God. I entered the circle of unceasing light, folded my wings before me to cover my face, and knelt before him. Yes, my Lord, you have served my kingdom well. You are a noble messenger. Never have you flinched in duty. Never have you flagged in zeal. I bowed my head, basking in those words. Whatever you ask, I'll do a thousand times over, my king, I promised him. Of that I have no doubt, dear messenger. His voice assumed a solemnity I'd never heard him use before. But your greatest work lies ahead of you. Your next assignment is to carry a gift to earth. Behold, I lifted my eyes to see a necklace, a clear vial on a golden chain dangling from his extended hand. My father spoke earnestly. Though empty, this vial will soon contain my greatest gift. Place it around your neck. I was about to take it when a raspy voice interrupted me. And what treasure will you send to earth this time? My back stiffened at the irreverent tone and my stomach turned at the sudden stench. Such foul odor could only come from one thing. I drew my sword and turned to do battle with Lucifer. The father's hand on my shoulder stopped me. Worry not, Gabriel, he will do no harm. I stepped back and stared at God's enemy. He was completely covered. A black cassock hung over his skeletal frame, hiding his body and arms and hooding his face. The feet protruding beneath the robe were thrice-toed and clawed. The skin on his hands was that of a snake. Talons extended from his fingers. He pulled his cape further over his face as a shield against the light, but the brightness still pained him terribly. Seeking relief, he turned toward me. I caught a glimpse of a skullish face within the cowl. What are you staring at, Gabriel? He sneered. Are you that glad to see me? I had no words for this fallen angel. Both what I saw and what I remembered left me speechless. I remembered him before the rebellion, poised proudly at the vanguard of our force, wings wide, holding forth a radiant sword. He had inspired us to do the same. Who could refuse him? The sight of his velvet hair and coal black eyes had far outstripped the beauty of any celestial being, any being, of course, except our creator. No one compared Lucifer to God except Lucifer. How he came to think he was worthy of the same worship as God, only God knows. All I knew was that I had not seen Satan since the rebellion, and what I saw now repulsed me. I searched for just a hint of his former splendor, but saw none. Your news must be urgent, spat Satan to God, still unable to bear the light. My father's response was a pronouncement. The time has come for the second gift. The frame beneath the cape bounced stiffly as Lucifer chuckled. The second gift, huh? 
I hope it works better than the first. You're disappointed with the first? Asked the father. Oh, quite the contrary. I've delighted in it. Lifting a bony finger, he spelled it out. A word, a single word in the air. C-H-O-I-C-E. You gave Adam his choice. Satan scoffed. And what a choice he made. He chose me. Ever since the fruit was plucked from the tree in the garden, I've held your children captive. They fell fast, hard. They are mine. You have failed, as he chuckled. You speak so confidently, replied the father, astounding me with his patience. Lucifer stepped forward, his cloak dragging behind him. Of course, I thwart everything you do. You soften hearts, I harden them. You teach truth, I shadow it. You offer joy, I steal it. He pivoted and paraded around the room, boasting of his deeds. The betrayal of Joseph by his brothers, I did that. Moses banished to the desert after killing the Egyptian, I did that. David watching Bathsheba bathe, that was me. You must admit my work has been crafty. Crafty? Perhaps, but effective? No. I know what you will do even before you do it. I use the betrayal of Joseph to deliver my people from famine. Your banishment of Moses became his wilderness training. And yes, David did commit adultery with Bathsheba. But he repented of his sin, and thousands have been inspired by his example and found what he found, unending grace. Your deceptions have only served as platforms for my mercy. You are still my servant, Satan. When will you learn? Your feeble attempts to disturb my work only enable my work. Every act you have intended for evil, I have used for good. Satan began to growl, a throaty, guttural, angry growl, softly at first, then louder, until the room was filled with a roar that must have quaked the foundations of hell. But the king was not bothered. Feeling ill, Lucifer? Lucifer lurked around the room, breathing loudly, searching for words to say and a shadow from which to say them. He finally found the words, but never the shadow. Show me, O king of light, show me one person on the earth who always does right and obeys your will. Dare you ask, Lucifer? You know there need be only one perfect one, only one sinless one to die for all the others. I know your plans and you have failed. No Messiah will come from your people. There is none who is sinless, not one. He turned his back to the desk and began naming the children. Not Moses, not Abraham, not Lot, not Rebekah, not Elijah. The father stood up from his throne at that instant, releasing a wave of holy light so intense that Lucifer staggered backward and fell. Those are my children, you mock. God's voice boomed. You think you know much, fallen angel, but you know so little. 
Your mind dwells in the valley of self. Your eyes see no further than your own needs. The king walked over and reached for the book. He turned it toward Lucifer and commanded, Come, deceiver. Read the name of the one who will call your bluff. Read the name of the one who will storm your gates. Satan rose slowly off his haunches like a wary wolf. He walked a wide circle around the desk until he stood before the volume and read the single word, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, he muttered to himself, then spoke in a tone of disbelief. God with us? For the first time, the hooded head turned squarely toward the face of the Father. No, not even you would do that. Not even you would go so far. You've never believed me, Satan. But Emmanuel, the plan is bizarre. You don't know what it's like on earth. You don't know how dark I've made it. It's putrid. It's evil. It's, it is mine, proclaimed the king. And I will reclaim what is mine. I will become flesh. I will feel what my creatures feel. I will see what they see. But what of their sin? I will bring mercy. What of their death? I will give life. Satan stood speechless. God spoke. I love my children. Love does not take away the beloved's freedom. But love takes away fear. And Emmanuel will leave behind a tribe of fearless children. They will not fear you or their or your hell. Satan stepped back at the thought. His retort was childish. The, they will too. I will take away all sin. I will take away death. Without sin and without death, you have no power. Around and around in a circle, Satan paced, clenching and unclenching his wiry fingers. Finally, when he stopped, he asked a question that even I was thinking. Why? Why would you do this? The father's voice was deep and soft because I love them. The two stood facing each other. Neither spoke. The extremes of the universe were before me. God, robed in light, each thread glowing. Satan canopied in evil. The very fabric of his robe seemed to crawl. Peace contrasting with panic. Wisdom confronting foolishness. One able to rescue, the other anxious to condemn. I have reflected much on what happened next, though I have relived the moment countless times. I'm as stunned as I was at the first. Never in my wildest thoughts did I think my king would do what he did. Had he demanded Satan's departure, who would have questioned? Had he taken Satan's life, who would have grieved? Had he called me to attack, I would have been willing. But God did none of these. From the circle of light came his extended hand. From his throne came an honest invitation. Will you surrender? Will you return to me? I do not know the thoughts of Satan, but I believe that for a fleeting second, 
Perhaps the evil heart softened. The head cocked slightly, as if amazed that such an offer would be made. But then suddenly it yanked itself erect. Where will we battle, he challenged. The father sighed at the dark angel's resistance. On a hill called Calvary. If you make it that far, Satan smirked, spinning and marching out the entryway. I watched as his spiny wings extended and he soared into the heavenlies. The father stood motionless for a moment, then turned back to the book. Opening to the final chapter, he slowly read words I had never heard. No sentences, just words, saying each, then pausing. Jesus, nail, cross, blood, tomb, life. Then one more time, Jesus. He motions toward me and responded, and I knelt before him again. Handing me the necklace, he explained, this vial will contain the essence of myself a seed to be placed in the womb of a young girl. Her name is Mary. She lives among my chosen people. The fruit of the seed is the Son of God. Take it to her. How will I know her, I ask? Don't worry. You will. I could not comprehend God's plan, but my understanding was not essential. My obedience was. I lowered my head, and he draped the chain around my neck. Amazingly, the vial was no longer empty. It glowed with light. And God said, Jesus, tell her to call the baby Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And uh, I'm not sure if Mr. Max Licato was... really gathering all of that from Scripture or not, but I liked it nonetheless. I, um, I'm so glad that God had a plan. Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And uh, there's, there's an old song from the 90s, some of you may remember it, some of you are old enough, it was by an artist named Joan Osborne. It was entitled One of Us. The song actually earned seven Grammy Award nominations and made uh, Miss Osborne an overnight sensation. It was a very uh, flagrantly blasphemous song that said basically, what if God were one of us? And I won't read for you some of the lyrics that I, I consider very irreverent, an irreverent stab by somebody who obviously didn't know God at all. Uh, but the question, the question is so inviting. What if God was one of us? The answer to that question, ladies and gentlemen, is God was one of us. He became a human being. It's a question that I think we need to think about because 
the unmistakable fact is true. God became flesh. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fancy word that Bible scholars like to use, and we don't hear it a lot, but many of you will know the meaning of the word. The word is incarnate. Bible call, scholars like to talk about and write about and debate uh, the different nuances of, of what that actually means. But incarnate simply means God incarnated or embodied in the form of flesh, in the form of a man. You might ask me the question today, preacher, do you really believe that Jesus, that baby that was born in a manger, do you really believe that he was God? Yes, I do. Without a doubt, I believe it with all of my heart. God here on earth. God in a body. And there are many scriptures that point that out. Permit me the time to read some of them in your hearing today. Isaiah 7 and 14, one of the many prophecies about Jesus. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So yes, that baby, it was a flesh and blood baby, a human baby through and through. It was all human, yet at the same time, it was God with us. Two chapters later, verse number six, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, listen to these words, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. That child that was born is, is the everlasting father, the mighty God, and the prince of peace. The text that I read, John 1 and 1, says it like this. The word was God. Now, it may seem unusual to us to hear John call the Son of God the word. The word. The Greek word there is logos. It was an important concept to the thinkers, the great scholar, scholars and philosophers of the time of the writing of the New Testament. Logos meant ideal or plan or scheme. And in the Old Testament, we read of the Word of God where it says the Word of God came to this prophet or that prophet. But in the New Testament, it says that the Word of God didn't come to a man. The Word of God took upon the form of man and he came himself. God was and is himself no matter where he is, whether it's the Father as we see in the Old Testament or the Son in the New Testament. And God's Word tells us that he came to earth in a body as a man. Let's listen to the words of Jesus himself, John 8, 58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. He was referring to the I am that Jehovah God told Moses to use as his name when Pharaoh would ask him, who sent you? God said, just say, I am has sent you. 
No one but God would have the audacity or the authenticity or the right to simply say, when somebody asks you who I am, just say, I am. Hallelujah. And I would say to you today that God is the I am to you. He will be whatever you need him to be. He is the I am that what is what you need. In John 10 and 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. In John 14 and 7, he said, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you will know him because you have seen him. Other New Testament writers said it like this. Paul writes in Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God. In verse 19 of that same chapter, he says, it pleased God to have all fullness Dwell in him. In whom? In that body, Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2 and 6, he speaks of Jesus as being in very nature God. And in Hebrews 1 and 3, he says, who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person. Friend of mine, let me tell you something today. This Christmas holiday season, when you're unwrapping presents and you're eating the turkey or the ham or meeting with family or whatever you're going to do, don't forget the reason for the season. Don't forget what you're celebrating. You're celebrating the fact that there is a Bible and in this Bible which is the Word of God. And if you believe the Bible, may I tell you, you must believe this one thing. Remember this around the dinner table on Christmas Day. The Bible clearly shows that Jesus is God. Hallelujah. Without a doubt, many of the very first Christians, beginning with the day of Pentecost, were very devout Jews, and they were, they were monotheist. That's just a, a Bible scholar's term that means very, very strictly. They believed in one God and one God alone. One of the primary uh, statements that they cling to in the scriptures in the Old Testament, faithful Orthodox Jews even yet today and all through the Bible, throughout the history of God's chosen people, one of the main scriptures that they clung to was Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4 that says simply, Hear, O Israel! The Lord our God is one Lord. And yet, could I remind you that after Jesus resurrected from the tomb, the early Christians cried out, Jesus is Lord. Well, if they believed, and they still do, that there is only one God and one Lord, did they all of a sudden break the very central code of their faith and began to believe there are two gods? Of course not. They would never do that. They saw Jesus as God. They knew who he was. 
The apostle Thomas called Doubting Thomas, bless his heart. He wasn't there when Jesus showed himself to his disciples the first time after his resurrection. He had said, I, I won't believe, even when they said, oh, we've seen him, Thomas. He said, I, I won't believe unless I'm able to touch the nail prints in his hands and put my hand on the wound where the spear went into his side. When he finally saw the Lord in person, he cried out in John chapter 20, my Lord and my God. Hallelujah. The early church knew that Jesus was God. They understood that. They believed the principle that only God can save us from our sins. And they experienced Jesus as their Savior. They called him their Savior. Therefore, they had no trouble whatsoever believing that he is God because only God can save. You, you may say to me, okay, preacher, God had a body. So what? What does that mean for us today? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means simply this. If we want to know what God is like, we have to look no further than the life of Jesus. Look at his compassion, at his love, at his mercy, at his grace his holiness, his sacrifice, and I could go on and on listing the attributes of our Lord and Savior. But all of these things show us not just who and what Jesus was about, but it shows us all about God because we see God when we look at the face of Jesus Christ. It means we're saved by Jesus Christ. He himself said, I'm the door. That, that, that word in the Greek literally means the gate. I'm the only way to get in to this thing called the kingdom of God. He said, I am the one that will let you in. You've got to go in my way or you're not getting in at all. He said, by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. We're not saved by some creature that God sent to earth that God created. We're saved by God himself. The God that I serve, the God that I follow, he died for me himself on a cross outside Jerusalem. And he rose to life again three days later. God himself paid the price for my sin to be washed away. He alone paid the price to rescue me from sin. Hallelujah. And reunite me back into right relationship with himself. And mend that relationship that was broken that kept me away from him because of sin. And that makes all the difference in the world. Praise God. God took on a human body. Think about it. Think about what else it means. It means that we should worship Jesus Christ. It means we should pray to Jesus Christ. It means we should love Jesus. We should sing praises unto him. Hallelujah. 
It's very appropriate to sing songs like Jesus above all names. Or that name is higher than any other. The name of Jesus. And I could go on and on. I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest days of my life was the day when I realized that whenever I pray, I don't have to visualize in my mind some pictureless old man with a long white beard and, and, and white hair. But whenever I pray, I just close my eyes and look at Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. They shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, God came to this earth. Yes, he came in a body, a human body. And you know what? I, for one, am going to be thankful that God shared my humanity. Hebrews tells us, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful <laughs> and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those also who are being tempted. Jesus, God, knows what you go through every day of your life. Not just because he is omniscient and knows in his mind intellectually what's going on in your life. But it's so much more than that. He knows what you're going through right now. And every pain that you experience, whether physical or a pain of the heart or the soul, he knows all about it. He knows what it's like. The Bible says that every temptation you and I have faced, God in that body called Jesus Christ faced it first. God became flesh to get ready for Christmas. Listen to me now. To get ready for Christmas, God undressed. He stripped off his royalty, his finery. He stripped off coronated atmosphere of that throne room that I read to you somewhat fictitiously about a few moments ago. He cast all that aside. He left it behind him. He was, how embarrassing, completely naked on the day he was born because God could not be God with us if he wasn't flesh. But let me remind you that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. God became human. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a friend. The scripture calls him a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. 
a friend who can truly empathize with us. He understands what it's like to be human. He understands you completely, my friend. You may think nobody in this life, nobody on this planet really totally understands you, but God does. God understands our weaknesses. He understands our limitations. And I really think we're going to get to heaven. We're going to stand before God at the judgment bar of Christ. And we're going to find out that the love of God goes a whole lot farther than any of us ever thought that it did. You know, I, I bet Jesus, when he was younger, probably spilled food on his clothes from time to time. I, I, I'll bet he might have even tripped and fallen flat on his face a time or two and scratched his leg or his arm. He was completely human and subject to everything that means. You say, why, preacher? Why would he do that? Why did he choose to identify with our pain, with our humanness? with our flesh because he wanted to come and save us. He wanted to bring us back in right relationship with him. God in a body. God didn't become a cow. He didn't come to earth as a dog or even an angel like Lucifer or Gabriel. But he became a whole, real, living person from birth to death. Listen, if we can't really believe that God came in a body, if we can't believe that Jesus is really God, then we can't really be saved. Amen. You know what? It's Christmas time. Maybe... Maybe we need to call Christmas. Maybe we ought to call the 25th day of December the celebration of God in a body. Maybe we ought to greet one another. Instead of saying Merry Christmas, we could say God in a body. We're used to Merry Christmas, aren't we? God in a body is more accurate. So every head is bowed and every eye closed. There's something even greater today than the fact that God was in that body called Jesus Christ. And that is this. He wants to be in your body. Did you know that? He wants to live inside of us, inside of you. For the scripture says, the apostle Paul writing, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Jesus went back to heaven, but he told his disciples, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you again. And he's here today, this Christmas, 2022, just like he is all other 364 days of the year, waiting for somebody else who hasn't already to accept his offer to come into your life and to be God to you and for you. 
Yes, ladies and gentlemen, God can be in your body because he came in a body. I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, I'm going to ask those of you that are glad God came in a body, whether you've received him into your life or not, whether you've obeyed the gospel or not, I'm going to ask you to come forward for a time of prayer on this last Sunday worship in this year. And let's be thankful today. God, we love you so much. We're so thrilled and so thankful beyond words that you have come, that we might have life. You died so that we could live. That's why you came in flesh. That's why you took upon a body like we've got and came to earth as a man to die on the cross and shed your blood. God, there are many among us today, many watching online, who've taken advantage of what you did when you came. Your death, your burial, your resurrection, they've already applied that to their life, and they are in right relationship with you because of that. But there are those among us perhaps who have not. I I ask you to speak to their heart one more time and ask them, are they really glad that you came to this earth? Are they glad for Christmas beyond just meals and presents and other things that are a part of the Christmas holiday season. Lord, we're so thankful today that the apex of it all, the ultimate gift at this time of year, the ultimate Christmas gift that anyone could receive is to accept you into their life and say yes to repentance and yes to baptism in your name and yes to the precious gift of you coming to live in their body through the gift of the Holy Ghost. I pray, God, that you would do that today as you desire. Reach out for someone here today. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street, Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.